0: Good evening, everyone. I am so excited to be up here tonight in front of you. Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Scudder, and to Pastor Paul. It is really cool. Um, I am a homegrown kid, and a lot of you, most of you know me, Um, but I've been around Pastor Paul and his family, and Pastor Scudder. When I was in high school, I got to go to Taiwan with their family, and I know how they are away from this ministry, and they're the exact same person. And earlier um, last year, I got to go with um, Pastor Scudder and Tom Murray to go visit Charlie, and we spent seven hours, all three of us, in the car together. You can imagine how that went, but I know how Pastor Scudder is. He had a crazy busy schedule, but he cared about a sheep that was in his flock. And so I know how these men are, and I am so grateful to to learn from these men and and to follow their example. And I'm very grateful for this opportunity tonight. Um, If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in Matthew chapter six. Open up that Bible to Matthew chapter six. We're going to be in a bunch of different passages. But before we dive in, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing on our study tonight. Father God, we thank you tonight for another chance to gather together, Lord, and how every single week, Lord, it just inspires us, Lord, being here every Sunday. And I pray that your word would speak, Lord. It would would be the thing that would speak loudest and clearest tonight, Lord. I pray that um, as a church body, Lord, we would be convicted and challenged by your word, Lord, and that we would be a brighter light because of it, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity, and I give you all the praise and glory. In your name I pray, amen. So I have a question for you guys. How many of you know how to solve a Rubik's Cube. I'm curious how many hands in the room, how many of you know? Kids, I see not many hands. Um, I do actually need a few helpers. So um, if there's a boy in the junior high, can it come up? Luke, come on up. And how about somebody in the upper primary, a boy in the upper primary, the UP? Anybody in the UP want to come help me? Winston Tandy, come on up, buddy. Come on up. Let's give him a hand, come on up. So um, a Rubik's Cube, not many people know how to solve it. Clearly in the room tonight. I have a challenge for you guys. So here's a solved Rubik's Cube. I didn't solve it. Um, I want Luke to grab that Rubik's Cube over there. And, um, Winston, have you ever solved a Rubik's Cube before? No. Have you? Yes. Okay. So, um, Winston, I'm gonna mix this up. He's already solved one. Um, Caleb, could you get your time route? We're gonna time loop. What's your fastest time you've ever done, Luke? 45 seconds. That's pretty fast. We'll see if he can beat that tonight. Winston, I want to give you this. You're going to solve this. Okay? When I say go, you guys are both going to solve it at the same time. Okay? Winston, if you can beat Luke, I will give you 20 bucks. Okay? You've never, you promise, you promise, you've never solved one before in your life. Okay. You guys ready? You got timer? All right. We'll see how fast Luke can do it. Ready? Go. All right. While they're solving the Rubik's Cube, let me give you a tiny bit of the history of the Rubik's Cube. In 1974, a man, by, a man by the name of Erno Rubik, he's a European man, he was the one that created the Rubik's Cube. And to this day, over 450 million Rubik's Cubes have been created in, in, in its history. It's one of the most popular selling toys in all of history. And the reason why I titled my message, he's really close, to, um, How to Solve a Rubik's Cube in Three Steps, is because sometimes life kind of feels like a Rubik's Cube. Sometimes uh, we, we get into life and there's so many, so many twists, so many different pieces, so many different seasons, that life kind of feels like a Rubik's Cube. And it kind of makes us ask the question, looking ahead into the future, we ask ourselves, how in the world are we going to figure it out? Is it possible for us to figure out this Rubik's Cube we're calling life with all of the twists, with all of the different pieces, with all of the, the puzzling situations? And he solved. Give it up for Luke Sandy, What's the time? One minute. One minute and five seconds. So good job, Lukey. Um, here's $10. I'm sorry, I don't have 20 because I'm not Pastor Scudder. So, um, and Winston, you had no chance because you've never learned, right? And um, sadly, life is not fair. So you don't get the $10 but I'll give you this anyways. You can have that. Give it up for those guys. So the reason why I titled my message How to Solve a Rubik's Cube in Three Steps is because I think everyone's had a moment in their life where they've, they've had this question of how am I supposed to figure this out? How can I possibly figure out life? And the, the answer is, you really can't. You really can't figure out. But we have the instruction manual. We've heard some great teaching over the last few weeks, and we have some great teaching in this church all the time. But Lou could solve the Rubik's Cube because he watched a video probably on YouTube or one of his buddies taught him how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Winston, nobody's ever taken the time. He's never seen the instructions on how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Now, we have the instruction manual that, that tells us how to figure out life. And what my goal is in the next 30 to 40 minutes is to give you three thoughts, three guidelines, three steps on how we can figure out this thing that we're calling the Rubik's Cube, how we can figure out life. Is it even possible to figure out life? So before we before we fill in our first blank, um, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter six, verse 34. And I'd like to read that passage together before we fill in our first blank. Matthew chapter six and verse 34. Let's read together ready begin Take therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is evil thereof Point number 1 on your handout is forget about tomorrow In Matthew 6:34 it says take therefore no thought for the morrow In this verse Jesus is is preaching his well-known sermon on the mount and he's teaching the followers at the at the, at the time of life that those that are going to be following him, he's teaching them a new way to live. And here in verse 34, Jesus tells believers to forget about tomorrow. It sounds pretty easy, right? Wrong. As humans, we literally waste so much, so many of our days worrying about tomorrow, specifically tomorrow's problems. When I was preparing this message, I kind of made a list of the demographic in the room, relating to all the worries that we have. And um, this is kind of silly, kind of serious, so let me read the list. Elementary students worry about fitting in with their friends or getting in trouble with the teacher. Junior high students worry about being cool. Does that sound right, Mr. Jordan? It sounds pretty right to me. High school students worry about the next step after high school or what they're going to do in the future. College students worry about finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. Young married couples worry about how they're going to balance the budget and put money in savings. Young parents worry about the future of their kids. What will it be like for them when they grow up? Teenage parents worry about their kids not serving God and following the world. Simple step students worry about going back to their addictive behaviors and strongholds. And lastly, this one's for my mom, grandparents worry about not having enough time to spend with their grandchildren. Some of those might seem kind of silly. And some of those are serious. And maybe I didn't list a worry. There wasn't a worry in that list that you have. But if we're honest with ourselves, we all worry And specifically, we worry about tomorrow. We worry about all the unknowns that happen tomorrow because tomorrow can seem like a scary place. But Jesus flips this thing on his head and he says, stop worrying about tomorrow. He says, actually, forget about tomorrow because what good does worrying do anyways? He says, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Let me ask you a question. Can you do anything today about tomorrow's problems? You can't. How can you figure out tomorrow's problems today? It's impossible. Now let me back up a second. I fully believe that it's really important in the Christian life to make plans. I fully believe that. Let me explain it this way. If there's a, a young couple in the church who's married and they have this burden, they have this, this desire, they have a heart for foreign missions and they feel God leading them in that direction, it would be a good thing for them to, to, to make a few plans regarding that direction, maybe to go on a foreign missions trip or, or to learn a new language or, or to meet with their pastor and talk about this desire that they have. That would be a good thing. That would be a good plan, a good way to think about the future. But that couple cannot spend today worrying all about the problems that will be on the mission field tomorrow. Don't get me confused. It's not a bad thing to think about serving God in the future. But serving God tomorrow cannot be our focus today. Young person in the room, listen to me really carefully. If you ever want to find out God's will for your life, if you ever want to find out God's will for your life, you can't spend today trying to figure out what's in tomorrow. It just won't happen. That's not how God reveals his will. I remember um being in bible college and um trying to figure it out because this this verse um over the past week in Matthew 6:34 um it's hit me really hard and i i've been chewing on it for a while but this this week it really really hit me really convicted me because i'm a thinker i like to think about the future actually i probably am an overthinker and i think that's a lot of you in this room and i remember being in bible college and trying to figure out where god was going to lead me in ministry I knew for sure that I wanted to serve God in ministry for the rest of my life. And so as a part of my working scholarship, my freshman year, I was placed on a maintenance crew. And then in the wintertime, I was put on the snow removal crew. And I remember being on the snow removal crew in college, and I was just absolutely hating it. And I didn't necessarily hate the work. I mostly hated the fact that throughout the middle of the night in the winter, I would get a phone call that would wake me up at 3 a.m., and nobody wants to wake up at 3 a.m. Maybe if you're going to Hawaii, like you're going to the airport to go to Hawaii, maybe that's okay, but nobody wants to hear their phone go off at 3 a.m. And to make matters worse, the name that, would, that appeared on my phone as it rang was Mr. Herman. Now, don't get me wrong. Mr. Herman is an amazing man. He, he's one of the men I respect the most, and he is one of the godliest men I know but if I'm being honest, Mr. Herrmann is not the man I want to see on my phone at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I think you can relate. Um, and so Mr. Herrmann would call me. And for some reason, Mr. Herrmann has this thing where he's so happy at 3 a.m. in the morning. Like you literally, I'm not making this up. You won't find a happier Mr. Herman than 3 a.m. in the morning. And so Mr. Herrmann would call me. And after being greeted by a yippee, Mr. Herrmann, a good morning for Mr. Herrmann. I would wake up, and I'd put my my snow gear on, and I'd head to church, trying really hard to have a good attitude. And so I remember specifically one night, I was in the bobcat plowing. And did you guys know, uh, raise your hand if you're in the plow crew this past winter. Who's out there? We got a few guys. Did you guys know that they, they have this bobcat? Coink was telling me the other day. It has heat. Ours did not have heat, and they have Bluetooth. I had to crank my headphones all the way up just so I could hear my music playing. These guys are—they have it easy these days. But I remember—I remember, I remember um, being being on the Bobcat plowing one night, and I was just kind of having a moment where I was just praying to God. I was just kind of thinking about life, praying to God, and I was—I was kind of just being like, honestly, I was kind of just laying it all out to God. And I remember, I specifically remember, um, genuinely wanting to follow God and to serve Him in that time of my life. And I wanted to know the future. I wanted to know where God was going to lead me tomorrow. But I, but I couldn't, I couldn't know that right then and there. So I basically told God in that moment, I said, God, I don't love being on the plow crew. But God, if you want me to be on the plow crew for the rest of my life, if that's the center of your will, I'll do it. And Kyle may be looking at me funny, but I actually meant it because I knew that all I wanted to do was serve God right in the center of his will. God's will for my life wasn't to be on the snow removal crew. But that day and definitely still today, God wanted me to see, God wanted to see how flexible and how willing I was to serve him wherever. Here's the truth. And young people, I want you to really get this. I wasn't going to figure out the future that day. But I was going to take the necessary steps to figure out what God's will was for my life because I forgot about tomorrow. I wasn't going to figure out that in 2023 I'd be teaching in Quentin Road Christian School or that I'd be up up here in front of you today. But that day, because I chose to forget about tomorrow, God was giving me the necessary steps to grow me to where I am today. Christian daily choose to forget about tomorrow's problems, not because of my experience, not because of my testimony, but because Jesus Christ said it to us himself, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I was thinking this afternoon, and I didn't want to share it, but I think I have to. That verse is from the very word of Jesus Christ. Every single verse in the Bible is from God. Do you understand that when we fail to forget about tomorrow we are disobeying the very commandments of Jesus. Don't let tomorrow distract you from the relationship God so desperately wants to have with you today. And don't let your fear of falling tomorrow hold you back from serving God today. You see, that's what happens because we have so many fears of the future, so many fears of tomorrow that we're, we're scared to serve him. We're scared, we're scared to take that next step in our walk with Christ. We're scared to take a big step of faith because we're afraid of failing tomorrow. Trust what the psalmist said in Psalm 56:13. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living. You know if we fail to forget about tomorrow's, if we if we fail to forget about tomorrow, today's opportunities will pass us by with never a chance to get them back. It's normal to have fears about tomorrow. We're human. But what we need to do as Christians, as people who can trust in the word of God is to replace your fear, of, your fear of tomorrow with faith in God today. Trust that God will lead and guide you tomorrow the exact same way that he's leading you and guiding you today. That's what you can trust on the character of God. Number two, our second step on solving the Rubik's Cube of life is focus on today. Jesus continues his teaching in Matthew six thirty four. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There is so much that is right in front of you today, right in front of us today, that, that every day it, it demands our de- direct attention. Did you know that it is estimated that the average adult has 35,000 decisions to make every single day? That's a lot of choices. That's a lot of things to focus on. And Jesus made it very clear that wherever we are in life, we have to be all in on today. We have to make a choice to focus on today. The Bible is full of verses that talk about today. Look at Joshua twenty-four fifteen. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What are you going to choose today? Thousands of years ago, Joshua made his choice. He made a choice that he wasn't going to worry about tomorrow. He wasn't going to worry about when he was going to get into the promised land. He essentially said, today, my focus is going to be on serving the Lord. What's your choice going to be today? Ephesians 5.16 says, redeeming the time or making the most of the time because the days are evil. Church, time isn't slowing down. In fact, it feels like it's almost speeding up. Last week, we heard an excellent message about time. And I tell people all the time that I wish there were 50 hours in a day. Don't you guys wish there were 50 hours in a day? It seems like 24 isn't enough. But really, 24 is just the right amount of time because God's the one that made each day. God's the one that said 24 hours is sufficient for your day. As Christians, we need to make the most of the 24 hours that God has given us each day. There is so much evil in our world. And it's only getting worse every day. God expects us as Christians to use our time wisely for his kingdom. The only way we can do that is by focusing on today, not on yesterday, not on tomorrow, today. Focus on today. Psalm 118 and 24 says, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Church, today was made by God. If God made today, do you think possibly he wants you to focus on today? I want to tell you, if you're going to figure out this Rubik's Cube that we're calling life, you're only going to solve it one day at a time. In a recent season, I had these genuine fears of tomorrow. And I'm sure you've had these fears too. And I was afraid of, of failing, f- afraid of falling Tomorrow. I was overwhelmed with the idea of trying to figure out in my brain how I was going to remain faithful to God all of my days, knowing all of the temptations, knowing all of the distractions that lie ahead on the journey. And I remember I kept telling myself, you know what? I can only take it one day at a time. For weeks as I was dealing with this internal fear, every day I would tell myself, you know what, just take it one day at a time. A month went, a month went by And an image popped up on my phone from OneDrive. And it was a memory from um, January 1st of 2020. It was a picture of my journal. And I want to share what I wrote down with you. As this new year and new decade begins, my goal is that God is always my number one priority in life. And that I don't worry about anything else except for these three words, deal with today. I took that as God telling me, hey, just keep focusing one day at a time. Just deal with today. Just keep seeking me today. Listen, the only way that I can even attempt to figure out life, the only way that you can attempt to figure out life is to take it one day at a time. And when you do that, the struggles of this life, they seem so much smaller. Sure, problems will arise. But if God made your today, don't you think you can trust God and rely upon him to help you deal with today? If God is your focus today, then you can even rejoice in what would seem like the worst day in the world. That's what Psalms 118.24 says. And you're asking me tonight, how can, you, how can you say that? How can you say that I can rejoice after a bad day? Do you live life? Are you in this bubble where you never have a bad day? No, everyone has a bad day. We live in a sin-cursed world. But the Bible tells me to rejoice And be glad because God made today. Joseph, one of the heroes of the faith. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of adultery. He was forgotten in prison. But Joseph was a guy who rejoiced in today. Joseph was a man who was glad even after a bad day. To me, it sounds like Joseph was a victim. But if you look at the snapshot into his life that we find in Genesis 39 you'll see that Joseph had this positive outlook from the verse we just read in Psalm. How could he be glad in life? How could he rejoice in God after all of these bad things that happened? Look at the verse in Genesis 39, verse one. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him, bought him out of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Let me pause for a little bit of perspective. Joseph wasn't born And Egypt. He, he, he was born in Israel, of course. So he was, he was, wasn't born in that country. He was thousands of miles away from his hometown. Thousands of miles away from his mother and his father. He was basically, um, abandoned by his brothers. And here we see Joseph. Not only is he in a different country, he's a slave in a different country. He has zero freedoms. To me, It sounds like a really bad day for Joseph. It sounds like Joseph is in a really bad spot. It sounds like his today is much worse than any of our days. Let's read verse two. And the Lord was with Joseph. That's a powerful statement from the Word of God. If you have a, if you have a pen tonight, underline that statement in your Bible. And the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph's life was like a Rubik's Cube. His plans were being twisted and turned in every single direction. I can imagine that Joseph was trying to figure out what on earth is happening in life. I can imagine Joseph just looking up to heaven and saying, God, what are you doing? And sometimes I think we have that same response. The scripture doesn't tell us that that's what he said, but you would think if he's as human as we are, that of course he would have that normal human response. But the scripture is very clear that God was with him. So clear that over 2,000 years later, Stephen, the first martyr of Jesus Christ, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, Stephen was preaching in Jerusalem to a group of unbelieving Jews. And Stephen, standing at the last moments of his life, preaching to this group of unbelieving Jews, the Spirit of God moved in Stephen and brought to him this moment in history. And in Acts 7, verse 9, Stephen said, the patriarchs moved with envy. Joseph's brothers moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So basically, the verse says, it seemed like it was a bad day for Joseph, but it turned out to be a day where Joseph could rejoice. How could Joseph do that? How could he have that kind of reaction? How can you have that kind of reaction in this corrupt, sin-cursed world? How can he have that kind of reaction? Joseph simply made God his focus today. Christian, if you feel like your life is being twisted in a million different directions, if you feel like your life is in a horrible season where you want to look at God and you want to shake your head and say, what are you doing? Let me tell you, that's not the time to lose focus on God. Joseph didn't lose focus on God. And the scripture says, God was with him. The exact same God that we read about that was with Joseph there in that unfamiliar place, in that unfamiliar position, is the exact same God that will be with you today. When you focus on God and you make God your view, then your story will say, but God was with him. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you want your story to say, but God was with him? Are you struggling maybe with a health crisis, but you're trying so hard to focus on today, to give God your day, to seek him, to, tr- to pray to him? Can I tell you something? The world will look at you when you come out of that health crisis and they will say, God was with him. Are you struggling in your home with your family and you feel like it's just falling apart right in front of you? You're trying to get your family to focus on today. You're trying to get yourself to focus on God. Can I tell you? The world will look at you and they will say God was with them. When you make God your focus, the world will see that God was with you. When you focus on God today, here's the beauty. God can only be with you. Do you know why? Because it goes against the perfect character of a perfect God. For him not to be with you. Focus on God today. Let's keep reading in verse two. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You see, Joseph wasn't crippled by, crippled in fear by tomorrow. He was 100% locked in on today. Christian, when you make God your focus today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, you are making yourself a walking billboard for the world to see the blessing of God upon your life. Did you see what God did in Joseph's life? Can I ask you a question again? How many of you, how many of you want God's blessing in your life? How many of you parents want God's blessing in your life? How many of you you college students want God's blessing in your life? Did you know that Joseph wasn't the only one that was blessed in Genesis 39? Over the past year or a few years, every Sunday night, not every Sunday night, um, a lot of Sunday nights out of the year, we'll see the In Grace episodes that Pastor Jim so so worked so hard to produce. And I was thinking this afternoon, So we see in Genesis 39 that Joseph wasn't the only one that received God's blessing. Can I ask you, how many of you, by raise of hands, how many of you have been blessed by watching those in grace episodes? By show of hands, how many of you? I've been watching those in grace episodes just like you. And I'm telling you, like after every single episode on Sunday night, I feel so blessed. Like after watching that Armageddon's Dawn series, I was so blessed. Because it was so powerful to see the teaching of the, of the future, but more importantly, to see how much Pastor Scudder cares about the gospel and how possibly Quentin Road could be still preaching the gospel when we're in heaven after the rapture. When you focus on God today, not only does God pour your, his blessing on you, he pours his blessing on all of those around you. Can I ask you, do you want the people in your life to be blessed by God? I promise you it will happen based on this story. The word of God tells us that others will be blessed when, when they focus on God, when, you, when we make God our focus. Genesis 39, verse four. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Church, this wasn't an accident. This was a direct result of Joseph not focusing on tomorrow. Not focusing on yesterday, but focusing on today. Your tomorrow might be so unattractive that all you're doing is looking for a way out. It might be so unfamiliar that all you want to do is tap out. Focus on serving God right where you are. Joseph didn't spend his days looking for a way out. He didn't demand that God would tell him what's next. He focused on today, and he saw God work in his life. And you can email the story to Joseph, how he saved the nation. Focus on God today and see how your worries and your anxieties will be crushed knowing that God is with you. So number one, forget about tomorrow. Number two, focus on today. And last, find God anew. What if we fail in the Christian life? What if we fall? Is there still hope for us? Is it game over? Is it possible for us to solve this Rubik's Cube we're calling life if we fail, if we fall? As we wrap up this message, I want to bring you to one more portion of Scripture, because the truth is we will fall. We will fail. We are imperfect human beings, but it's okay, because there's hope. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 says, "'This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning.'" Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. You know what? If we're trying to figure it all out, we have to seek God every day. We have to find him anew. That word anew is probably an uncommon word in your, in your language dictionary, but it really just means over again or another time. Every new day, every morning when you wake up, do you seek God do you pray? The Bible says that the Lord wants us to seek him anew every single day. Do you look to God in his word for something to refresh your every day? So many times when I've failed or when I've messed up, I've had this misconception that God is looking down on me in frustration. He's looking down on me with a scowl, ashamed of who I am. But based on the word of God, the character of God. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Friends, when you truly understand how God sees you, it changes every day. Look at Psalm 139, 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. This is speaking about God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with thee. We learned this morning how many grains of sand there are in the world. Let me blow your brain for a second. That m- number of grains of sand in the world, that's how many thoughts God has towards you. Even when you fail, even when you fall, God is still thinking about you. And He's asking you, seek me, find me new. My mercy is there. My ever loving kindness. When I fall, when I fail, God doesn't look down on me in anger. He doesn't look down on me in in shame. All of that anger that we think that God has for us, you know where that went? All of that anger, that righteous wrath that God has, he poured all of it on his son, Jesus, as Jesus willingly took upon himself your sins. God does have righteous wrath. He does have righteous anger, but it's not upon you. He poured it all upon Jesus. Amen. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you fall, the mercy, the kindness, the favor, the love of the everlasting Lord are new every single morning. Friends, the compassion that Jesus has for you, it'll never fail. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. Jesus is there. He wants to bring you back so bad. He wants to bring you back in a relationship with him so bad. But he doesn't force it. He tells you in his word to seek him every morning. That his mercies are new every single morning. He wants to love you more than you already, than you ever deserve. And friends, he already has loved you more than you ever deserve. Church, Jesus is there to help you solve this Rubik's Cube of life. Every morning, every new day, we must seek God. We must find him anew. We must thank him for his mercy. Because without it, there's no shot we'd solve the Rubik's Cube of life. So in conclusion, let's go back to the question at the beginning of the message. How do we figure it all out? How can we figure out all of the struggles, all of the challenges, all of these um, trial-bearing seasons in life? How in the world can we figure it out? Let me tell you the answer in two words. You don't. God doesn't expect you, an imperfect, frail human being, to figure it out. He doesn't. But he tells you in his word to forget about tomorrow. He tells you to focus on today. Make him your priority today. And he tells you to find him anew. Church, if you do that, you will be able to figure out the Christian life. Before we close, the most important thing to figure out is knowing Jesus as your personal savior. It's simple. The gospel is simple. God so loved the world. as every single person in this room, every single person ever created. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's Jesus, when you put your trust, your dependence, your reliance upon Jesus, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not die, but should have everlasting life. If I could let this hand represent you and me and every single person in the world, and this represent our sin. You see, we all have sin, and we think that we can get rid of our sin or we can, we can cover our sin in order to attain God's righteousness to have eternal life. We, we, we may try to go to church or try to help our neighbor or just be a simply good person. But God in heaven, who is perfect... We're separated from him by our sin. And that's why God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus came to this earth. The son of God came to this earth and he died for us. He died the death that we deserve. He took upon himself the sin of the world. God the father poured the wrath of the sin of the world onto Jesus and Jesus took our sin. And the Bible says, when you believe in him, when you put your trust in him, you can have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. There's nothing more important to figure out in life than understanding that you are a sinner and you are in need of salvation. And the only Savior is Jesus Christ. Church, it's not hard to figure out. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace, you are saved through faith, not through your good works, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Church, if you're here tonight, if there's an individual tonight in this, in this auditorium, And you've never had a moment in your life where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope, as your only Savior. Not yourself, not your church, not your family. Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. Tonight can be the day of your salvation. You can have peace with God for all of eternity because tonight you made the choice that you are going to put your faith in Jesus Christ.